how do we have retention of apprentices? Because you know the, the recent stats said that 65% of chefs or people leave the hospitality industry in six years after their training. Well, that's a churn. That's a churn and burn we can't afford. Dirty Linen has spent quite a bit of time talking about mental health in the hospitality industry. It's an industry that's renowned for stresses and pressures. And if we didn't know that already, we've certainly learnt that over and over again over the past 18 months. I thought it was a great opportunity to speak to Rhonda Andrews. Uh, She's a principal psychologist and managing director of Barrington Centre, which is an organisational psychology and strategic consultancy HQ'd in Melbourne. Rhonda, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you very much, Danny. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's a real pleasure and an honour to have you on the show. I know you've delved a lot into the hospitality sector and particularly the mental health uh, issues that we do see in that industry. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you do at the Barrington Centre and how it relates to hospitality. Uh, Yes, so what we are doing is uh, really looking at what are the issues around mental health, uh, particularly looking at what I call the slow burn, Danny, you know, where it's that really uh, cumulative impact upon people over time and just how that wears them down physically, uh, mentally and emotionally. And then what can we do about it, not only from a reactive point of view, but also what can we do uh, at that, what I call the pointy end in the way of how can we actually help people um, with building their resilience and, and also supporting businesses and industries alike. And what kind of role does Barrington Centre take in that? Um, So it's quite varied. Um, So a lot of our work is getting the evidence and finding out what are the key issues because they do vary according to specific sectors. As we know, as we're talking about hospitality, that has unique stressors. Um, And so therefore for us, it's about really looking at what are the hotspots for particular industries and then being uh, able to look at where, where and how do we actually address those and when and so uh, are we doing it at an individual level are we doing it with uh, if you like teams of people um, and their leadership or are we doing it at a sector level and sometimes we can actually be uh, looking at that on a multi-pronged approach uh, but certainly looking at very much about a preventative uh, front um, of uh, delivery of training and programs to support individuals teams and sectors. It's so interesting to hear about this sort of evidence-based approach to looking at mental health in hospitality. It's, um, I think, so often when mental health and, and hospitality uh, intersect, it's so often in, in a picking up the pieces kind of way. It's, uh, it's less strategic, if you will. Absolutely. And I hear it all the time. And, you you know, you see statements and and hear statements of, you know, it's like going to war every day. So just, in a sense, uh, push on. Uh, and whereas what we're trying to do is say, no, in fact, let's, let's pull back from that sort of uh, attitude um, and, and rather say, okay, what have we got that's happening um, and how do we measure the change so people can actually see uh, in, in which ways and how it can help them from a strategic perspective as well as a very practical way um, at an individual level. 
I mean, I'd, I'd love to get on to the particular challenges and the ways that we can increase resilience and, and heal in hospitality. But I'd just love to ask firstly about the method that you that you use or the methods you use to go about researching this? Are you sort of, you know, in kitchens with clipboards? <laughs> if only. Although I must say, I just said to the staff as I was coming on that um, we've just had uh, a lovely lunch uh, in Melbourne uh, at one of the restaurants and I told them that I was coming on and they were absolutely fascinated that I was joining you, Danny. And so they all crowded round and they gave me a full on, well, these are the issues that you need to share with Danny today. Um, so it was really good to uh, hear that anecdotal evidence. And I think if I could start there and say that I think we've got a real dichotomy happening in Australia right now. We've got hospitality that's in a world of pain, um, that's attract, trying to attract enough staff. But the dichotomy is equally, we've got staff who are really living uh, in a hand to mouth existence. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's sort of like chalk and cheese, you know, desperate at both levels. And uh, in answer to your question, Danny, uh, the way in which we glean a lot of this information um, is through the colleges, so through the training colleges, um, certainly through business owners, um, certainly through uh, key associations in the hospitality uh, industry that we work with. Um, and, and then we actually go in and certainly in particular businesses um, and people who uh, are pa participating in our programs, um, we actually measure um, some of the key things like their cumulative uh, stress, uh, their trauma, um, the levels of resilience, and what sort of coping mechanisms uh, do they have? And so that's where we actually get quite a lot of our data and our evidence to actually find out what are the hot spots um, that are for front of house staff and and back of house, uh, you know, kitchen staff. Mm. Well, let's get into the nitty gritty then. What kinds of things do you see? Yeah, well, could I start? Certainly. I think we need to acknowledge um, that uh, we've got a quadruple whammy going on at the moment. You know, in this industry, uh, what's happening because of our closed borders, we have missing workers, we have missing international students and tourists, we have missing business events, and we have missing working holiday makers. And so with that sort of background um, with the COVID crisis that we have, um, certainly the themes that uh, I'm hearing uh, are very much in a multi-dimensional way, Danny. And uh, we really need to look at them because they're all interrelated. And so some are really obvious, but I think we've got to start with some really poignant statistics. And that is when we look at that 65% of our young people in Australia find their first job in hospitality or leisure or retail, it actually means that their experiences in the world of work you know, when I talk about behaviours, uh, attitudes, uh, coping mechanisms, just leadership, how they see places work, turn into lifelong habits. So we've got that as a backdrop, as well as when we look at that hospitality, along with tourism, provides up to one in 11 employment opportunities globally. And so, you know, we've got a big pool of people here that we are, if you like, putting through experiences within hospitality. And so within that, 
I see that the 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 themes that I see in the well-being space are around the physical, and it's no surprise uh, because of just the hours that people are working. You know, and it is, as someone said, it's a perfect storm uh, that undermines mental health because you know you have unsociable hours that lead to potentially work-family conflict. Um, and, you know, you've got a fast-paced environment and very long hours. So it really impacts upon the physical state of people in their sleeping, their eating, uh, their financial, um, just their, the occupation that they've chosen. There's certainly their social aspect. So, you know, just, just getting together with family and friends becomes a logistical nightmare. Mm. Um, and then you've got the psychological overlay there, which is all around that um, perfectionism, which is uh, quite a tray uh, in the hospitality industry, particularly in the chefs. And so you've got this anxiety, uh, potential depression, and, and that question around the self um, and so, you know, self-belief, self-confidence. And so that becomes the, the perfect storm, if you like, Danny, for what I'm seeing now. It is a perfect storm. But, you know, even as you outline all those really quite terrible things, I actually also I know that people will be listening to you and feeling relieved to have this, this sort of overlay of circumstances recognised and yeah, I think once you recognise something, that is at least a, a part way along the path to solving it. Yeah, and I think you're so right there because often we think, oh, this is just happening to me or am I exaggerating this? Um, you know, is, is this something that I just need to uh, you know, push to one side, uh, you know, just get on with it, you know, and, and sort of try and talk yourself out of it? But I think exactly as you just said then, Danny, it is about recognising, hey, it's not just me. Um, this is something that's happening uh, beyond me and and within the industry because of, you know, COVID and, and the secondary and tertiary consequences that we've got, as I said, with our borders closed and what that means around supply and demand. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so yeah, what else? Um, so, so I think could, could we drill down a little because what does all this mean? What are the issues? And uh, when we've been uh, talking to uh, individuals within the industry, talking to owners of businesses, uh, talking to uh, peak bodies um, within the industry, I guess you know certainly I see six main areas, six issues, main main categories. Firstly, I think there's the physical one, Danny, and that is there are a lot of workplace injuries um, and there's pressure to work uh, potentially while still recovering from injury. Um, we do know about the high degree of fatigue um, and that's caused by those demanding hours and just changes to your sleep pattern and then trying to juggle what might be required from a family uh, and a friendship perspective. So we've got that as one issue. The other that's a really big one that I want to put on the table today is about gender. We do have a real imbalance and it is about the work. It's, it's caused by the work hours 
Um, in some cases, it is about the underpayment. And in other cases, it is about um, what happens culturally within a workplace. And I want to bring the <laughs> I want to bring the white elephant out and say, you know, there are times when there is harassment and bullying. And so, what does that do about encouraging people um, to join this particular sector? I just I was out for dinner last night with two 15 year olds and both girls and one of them has her first job just as you said before she's one of those many people whose first job is in hospitality she's working in a fish and chip shop and she said that frequently she's um asked by male customers you know does she have a boyfriend what's she doing after work she's 15 um one and you know she's she has a not very nice boss as she described and she's so there's a lot of pressure on her to be you know that ever smiling face for the customers Uh, so she's always has to be friendly she's got that pressure from her boss and so this a male customer asked her over to his table you know she's goes over perhaps he needs some extra salt whatever it is but he asks her you know does she have a boyfriend it's like this is not okay yeah exactly and and you you know and that isn't unfortunately uh, a one-off you know i hear that regularly where you know here she is as you say 15 year old new first job and and there the those intrusive questions by a customer um that yeah it isn't okay and and so part of what we do is say okay how do you actually manage those circumstances where people do uh cross boundaries um, whether it be customers or whether it be uh, uh, colleagues, um, whoever it may be in your workplace, um, because at some level it's very interesting, isn't it? That, you know, in hospitality, there's that familiarisation that people um, accept and at some level expect that they can have a informal chat with uh, whoever's serving them, and and. It's, it's sometimes is exactly what uh, you found last night that people cross that boundary and, and where does that leave um, the worker who is trying to still engage, still be positive, um, but but not feel uncomfortable in their workplace because as you and I both know, every person has the right to feel comfortable and safe in their workplace and and how do we create that in a hospitality industry where some people's behaviour is totally unacceptable and unpredictable. But I think, you know, the two women that you went out with last night, um, you know, they typify for me what we see, and I'll give it its fairly harsh term about fear, that um, they're often reluctant and very hesitant um, to share those experiences or say what's going on because they feel like, well, they're dime a dozen. They'll lose their job. Someone else will pick it up instead. Um, And so it is that hesitancy of just swallow it, you know, suck it up, just move on. Um, But, you know, I think think it's really important that we speak about this and put it on the table for discussion and say that's not okay, whether you're a male or a female, it's not okay to feel uncomfortable uh, through a course of conversation either from the customer or, or a colleague. And uh, I think that fear factor, whether you, you you put it in a party frock and it looks like anxiety, um, I don't care. But the point is there's an underlying uh, hesitancy and reluctance to feel like you have the right to speak. Mm. 
Absolutely. And I'd say, you know, you could add race to that as well or, you know, um, other other ways that people can be marginalised. You know, I think people with um, a disability, there would be similar things that, but in whatever way people need to feel comfortable and supported, you know, sometimes that those structures and um, frameworks uh, and clear pathways to, you know, saying that you require support or backup, they're just sometimes not there. And you're, you're very right there. And as you say, yes, I've used just one um, uh, dimension, but there's multiple dimensions there, as you say, whether that be cultural, whether that be um, uh, particular affiliations, whatever it might be, um, there is a potential discrimination or a potential uh, discomfort because of that lack of inclusion and diversity. Mm, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, was that number three? Yeah, that was number three. Oh, you're doing well in your county here. <laughs> um, the one I want to talk about is, and, and this is, of course, something that uh, anyone in the hospitality industry experiences, and that's the whole issue around socialisation. Um, and, you know, I look at just the style of induction uh, and, and what I call socialisation of newcomers um, into a business and into the hospitality. And, you know, often it, they report that it's done very poorly. Um, and so, therefore, they, it takes a long while for them to be feeling they belong or feeling, feeling like they, they understand the ropes. You know, it'd be fascinating to ask the 15-year-old from last night's dinner, you know, how, did she, how, how has she been inducted? And um, what's been the way in which she's uh, feeling like she understands the protocols, understands how to do things, pertaining to that business and how much do they actually feel included um, with others so they, they feel like they've got their you know their back supported by another colleague and mm. so that socialization is known but not talked about a lot and um, and you know people talk about the work hours which adds to the isolation but I think we've also got to say Danny people can feel really isolated at work, even though they're frantic, they're busy as hell, they can still feel very isolated in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's... I've got so many thoughts going through my mind. One of them is I can tell you how the 15 year old felt, <laughs> felt, um, felt like she was, uh, uh, yeah, inducted. And that was that she was screamed at on her first day for making a mistake. <laughs> so it wasn't too great, but I can also, um, mention a positive story which is that I was chatting to Sam and Luke Burke today they're um, Aboriginal chefs who've come through the National um, uh, Indigenous Culinary Institute and they're working at restaurants in Sydney um, and they talked about their leadership role in the Aboriginal community where they had you know attained re positions of leadership in their respective restaurants and they had uh, Indigenous uh, young chefs who were working under them and they talked about how important it was to them to give those young people the mentorship and support and, yeah, show them the ropes in a way that, that someone, you know, that uh, 
that, yeah, so that, that wasn't there for them in the same way. So I guess, you know, you can see it is done in some ways in a good way, whether it's formally or informally, but of course there are lots of instances where it's not done well. Yeah, and, and you're quite right. We need to um, show a, a perspective here of balance. And likewise, you know, I've seen some very good uh, and very effective ways of inducting um, newcomers and newbies, if you like, into the industry. Uh, and, you know, some really practical things like buddy systems so that, you know, when people are on roster together, you know, there's an experienced person with uh, a less experienced person front of house. And so there's a go-to person all the time same in the back uh in the back of house and so you know it can be as you said formal or informal but in some cases they, they formalize that so they deliberately roster them on together so there's that that sense of um a confidence uh, sense of strength sense of uh observing and and just knowing if there's any issue there's a go-to person um that they have as their backup and you know, I think those sorts of mechanisms from a, 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 if you like, a cultural perspective as well as a structural perspective um, really give um, newcomers a great opportunity to rise quickly, to really feel um, they've, they've got the confidence and be able to deliver on whatever part of the service in hospitality um, their role is. Mm, yep. All right. What's number five? Okay, so number five is really about uh, what I call, as I said earlier, the slow burn. So they're the re what I call the repeated um, stressors. So where we've got things that are happening uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's a combination, if you like. I call it like the Velcro um, pit. So everything gets stuck to it. And so that could be um, things that are happening about your fatigue, uh, uh, about the uh, lack of uh, socialisation, so being isolated from your friends and not being able to catch up as often, uh, and then feeling um, alone, and then that sort of cocktail, if you like, um, of how do you keep motivated, how do you keep uh, alert, um, and that might introduce things like drugs and alcohol, and then we've got, if you like, the cycle of mental health. And in that, we then have some really long-term issues um, that become compounding. And so it's a bit like, how do you peel an onion? How do you peel it back again to find out where's the cause of all of these issues? Mm -hmm. And so that for me is when it becomes complex, compounding, and people just don't know where do they start to fix this from a emotional or psychological perspective. Mm. And, and that's where you get to that picking up the pieces end of things. That's right. You're, you're really at the, at the end of the line and it's the, you know, it's that whole thing of people on a, on a, um, on a continuum of really wondering, uh, is this industry for me? Do I want mm -hmm. to be here? You know, is, is this something that I want to pursue? Um, is this my long-term or is this just a short-term uh, financial uh, stopgap? And so people start to question their, if you like, their relationship with the sector. Um, and that has its then its own effect 
um, on how people are actually dealing and engaging. So then it comes back to how committed are they? How do they come across, um, whether front of house or back of house, how do they come across with their own energy, with their own interest? Um, and, and so it really has that knock-on effect, uh, which then uh, people can feel at times, and, and, you know, once again, a white elephant in the room, feel at times that they're despondent. Does anyone else understand how bad it is and where do I go for help? Yeah, and I think I've certainly in, heard of and talked to and in, in, um, encountered so many people that have taken this, the COVID pause. Well, it's they've, yeah, they've gone and done something else because I think they haven't been able to see how they could return to the industry, return to work um, in such a way that, you know, improves things and takes them out of that cycle of stress that you talk about. Yeah, and, and I think what's um, overlaying that um, is, you know, that we've had a lot of people disappear um, from this mobile um, workforce um, because understandably, financially, um, they've been forced to find stable work elsewhere. So this is where we've got this uh, whole thing of a, a skill and a staff shortage, um, as well as those who have got jobs in hospitality are currently looking around the states and territories of Australia and saying, when's our next lockdown? And um, so, you know, what does that mean about being laid off again? Uh, you know, how am I going to pay the rent? And so it becomes that, as as the uh, staff said to me today at the hotel uh, for lunch, they said, it's a bit like I've got this thing sitting on my shoulder all the time. It's it's the COVID, the COVID worry about, you know, come, come into a state, come into a territory, bang, we're into shutdown, we're into lockdown, uh, I'm stood down. And, and what does that mean about my uh, electricity bill that I've got due at the end of the week? And so for them, it's, it's that, uh, that sense of anxiety that's there, as they said at lunchtime today, all the time that's, if you like, eating away at them in their mind. Yeah, I mean, what can you – I don't know. <laughs> I know we're going to get to solutions. I'm not sure – what the solution is to that, except, yeah, like community-wide uh, vaccination. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big one that we probably can't uh, tackle today. No, it would be nice if we could. <laughs> it would be nice if we could. <laughs> I'd, you know, I'd be a real encourager of that. Um, but uh, so can I just finish the sixth one because... Because this one, I think, we is is something that's really pertaining to the hospitality, and uh, and this is where it's both the asset of the industry as well as what I'd call the Achilles heel, and that is the industry, hospitality industry, really attracts perfectionists, and they love their work, they're passionate about their work, they demand from themselves and from others um, just the best. And that's an absolute credit. And we see that in the delivery from the chefs through to the front of house, just the way in which it becomes a massive experience um, in, in any workplace and in any, um, uh, any, any business in hospitality. But the Achilles heel of that is when the perfectionist loves control. 
And so when we've got a situation like we have now and, and has, have we, we've had in 2020, this year, and possibly um, moving forward into other years, that there is a sense of loss of control. You know, there's something, there's a, there's a health issue out there that we have no control over in the way of, as an individual, um, about how it's going to impact upon my job on a day-to-day basis and my employment. And so the perfectionist really absolutely spikes in anxiety and depression um, because of that, because it's that sense of helplessness. You know, I can do the best I can, but if I'm actually not at work because we can't open the doors, then how am I actually going to live? And so that that uh, personality style that is attracted to the industry and, and when I look at our statistics, we've got a... A skewed percentage of perfectionists within hospitality, much more than any other industry. And so um, that in turn means that there is a heightened uh, risk and a heightened uh, sense of anxiety and mental health issues uh, because uh, of that situation. Mm, that, yeah, that really makes sense. It also, it makes me think of someone we had on the podca- podcast a month or so ago, Rhonda, um, her name's Lucy Whitlow, and she's a pastry chef at Asteria Ilaria in the city. But when she was in lockdown, in the first lockdown, well, I think the long lockdown, she was living alone in a um, converted church. It sounds like quite an extraordinary place to be living. Uh, but she, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I don't know if she would describe herself as a perfectionist, but she certainly, you know, works in great detail and she's, um, yeah, just d- creates incredible desserts. But she used it as an opportunity to really focus in on her cheese making and also art creation. And she staged, she did drawings, she made cheese, she staged art openings just for herself and she put on her fur coat to attend her own art openings. And I just think, you know, she's one person that has seemed to, you know, from our conversation, to find other outlets for her um, high achieving, perhaps perfectionism, but just certainly her desire to continue working and creating. But yeah, not everyone is able to <laughs> do an art opening in the in a church. But what? But how creative is that? It's I mean, so amazing. She's I, incredible. I mean, my hat. You know, I just applaud her because you know what she's recognised is I want to keep that motivation that passion going yes I won't have an audience apart from myself but I can actually honor my own skills exactly yeah, yeah no, absolute credit to her she, she we should have put her on video um and had a virtual celebration <laughs> totally absolutely <laughs> Okay, so we've identified our six stresses and challenges. What what next? What can we what can we do to help um, help people? Yeah, and and you know I think when I look at this, you know, it'd be lovely to have a magic wand, and it'd be lovely to be able to say, you know, there's a, a there's a simple solution here, um, but it is a complex one, and I think we need to recognise that. And so when I'm speaking to whether it's individuals or um, business owners or whoever it may be, policymakers. Uh, if I look at where does this all come from, what's central to this issue? Yes, we've got a COVID overlay, but that actually isn't our issue. 
our issue really for me, in my, in my view, is the core and central to all of this is skill shortages. Because for me, that's what we're really trying to address here. Because anything around mental health and wellbeing policies are absolutely amplified to this, what I call that pre-existing condition of skill shortages. And so, you know, I parallel it because Barrington also works in the aged care sector and I parallel a similar situation about the mobility of the workforce, the, the issues, the same issues around skill shortages. And there is, if you like, um, a, a real similarity and also uh, a complexity around it. And so when I look at hospitality, I see, if you like, the occupational um, issues and the structural issues that, that sit underneath those skill shortages. And so when you ask, okay, well, what do we do about this? The way we are approaching it is as a solution, we're really doing it from three tiers. Um, so the first one is very much at the individual level. And so that is how is the individual coping or not coping as the case may be and building on the strengths that they already have. So not doing a gap analysis of saying, hey, you know, you're, you're not coping here, there and everywhere. People don't need to hear that all the time. They feel like they're just being flogged. But let's go from a point of what is it that works for you and let's build that up because then that's going to actually then be able to reduce the, the things we don't want, like the, like the negative stress, the anxiety, the burnout, all of those things. So what we're doing there, Danny, is really looking from a, a beliefs perspective, someone's own values, making that the driver, and then looking at the practical things around their physical, mental and emotional well-being that they have total control in. No, nothing else, just what they have control in. So then they can actually make decisions and choices and um, uh, actions based just on what they have 100% control in. And, and you know, for some people, that may not be many parts of their life, but we just hone in on those and that's what they spend their time in being able to uh, examine, be able to change and be able to grow. So that's at the individual level. Well, I'm just trying to, I mean, what's an example? Um, so, for instance, it may be as basic as what is it that, um, so I've got my job, so on a day-to-day -day basis, um, it, it can be a decision around, so how am I going to actually run my life? How, what does my day look like? You know, and so instead of, for instance, sitting and vegging in front of the telly until my shift starts at 3, 8, 3 p.m. this afternoon, I might go for a walk instead. Right, right, right. So it really becomes very uh, at that minutiae level of what is it that I can put in my day that makes me feel better. doesn't have a cost associated with it. It's just me driving it. Um, it could be, um, you know, uh, having, a sh having a shower uh, morning and night 
um, is something that makes me feel good. And so I'm going to make that happen. Um, making a call to a, a family friend or a friend, um, uh, someone who is in my close connections, uh, I'm going to make a, a pact with myself that I'm actually going to call one a day. So once again, what it's doing is very small steps, Danny, but it's about building a uh, building resilience and building a buffer against those issues that I spoke about. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay. Um, so that's really at a, a very pragmatic, very um, uh, very small steps. But but if you look at it, if people start doing that on a day to day basis or week to week basis, it can really change. Um, you know, just how you feel physically, uh, how you feel mentally, and how you feel emotionally. Because a you're connecting, um, b you're starting to get physically out there. Um, and, you know, you're getting away from things that are, we do know are very passive um, and leave people a lot of time to ruminate, to think about things and get into a negative spiral. Yep, makes sense. And if we look at our evidence, um, we've got evidence over the past 10 years now from a longitudinal study that the greatest factor we want to concentrate on is connection because it shows in our research that without connection there's a risk an 85 percent risk of some form of mental health issue whether that's post-traumatic stress whether that's depression um, something in that vein that is an 85 percent risk when people are isolated so do you tackle that sort of from an organisational point of view? We tackle it at three levels, um, individual and the business and then uh, more at a system or sector level. Okay. So, okay, what do you want to tell me next? Okay. So if we look at the team or a business, um, really for us it's around looking at what's happening with the culture uh, what's happening with leadership and what's happening with the the team values because you know as as you were sharing that experience of the 15 year old and equally you and I could share a positive experience you know what I really enjoy when I hear people say I love my job I love where I work and when you when I ask them so what's what's the best thing about it oh the people mm. without a doubt it's the first yeah. thing person that comes into 99% of them, they go, it's the people. And I'm thinking, wow, so sounds simple, but how do we actually build that? And that's that real sense of belonging, uh, that real sense of team value, and that real sense of um, being acknowledged for what you're doing. And even if you muck up, you know, what's the learning out of that and how do you do it differently? So um, for me, it's certainly around looking at how does that either give inclusion or how does that drive people away and and make them feel uh, absolutely grotty about themselves and disappointed about themselves um, or just want to run away from it. So what are some, can you give me any examples of things that you've seen businesses do really well in this space? Uh, yes, I can. And uh, so certainly um uh, a number of them have it when they do their changeover of roster, um, that they have a five-minute to ten-minute uh, little 
discussion with every with the team, and so they generally have some food. Uh, or some drink at that time, so everyone's just munching. And it could be um, just in the kitchen, it could be somewhere outside, not where uh, the patrons are, um, or, you know, in that case I'm talking about a restaurant, but I've seen it uh, happen in other food services situations where they have a stand-up team meeting, as you could call it, and it's really just, what's happened to you today, Danny? How, how are things happening today? So it's a it's a connection in with how's today going for you? How do you feel? Um, anything you want to discuss? Anything you want to actually uh, say? And they just go around. It could be like, you know, 30 seconds for each person. Oh, well, you know, uh, I've just had my child uh, throw up on me just before I came, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it can be anything. Uh, and it can be laughing, you know, so it can be something funny, uh, something about the dog, what the dog's done, um, you know, or it can be anything that's happening, but it's about people's lives. So you're bringing that into the team meeting or the little um, let's catch up, let's bond, let's actually just have a, a quick dis- uh, chat and then people actually feel uh, connected and then they go about their day and or their roster. And I've seen that absolutely lift people in their energy levels, um, certainly in their uh, their sense of belonging and, and their sense of pride um, in what they're doing because they feel valued and so therefore they want to value what they do. Yeah, it's interesting that these these small changes, you know, a, a shower or a, a, a short chat, uh, can really make a big difference. Yep, and and other things that I've seen, which is more on the run, you know, of uh, more senior people within a business just recognising uh, what people are doing. That's looking good, Danny. You know, uh, that was a great way in which you spoke to X. So there's that positive reinforcement informally, on the fly, um, not not uh, in a sense of being staged, but very reactive and very genuine. And that just lifts people because, hey, there's recognition. You know, we can all yell at someone when they don't do a good job or they stuff up something or, you know, they've given the wrong orders to someone or, you know, they've delivered to uh, the wrong box to someone. But it is about just those small things that uh, are done and then there's a recognition by someone who is valued in the business who is just acknowledging that and for me once again that's all around culture that's all around leadership um, and that's also about the team value. Mm. I think you know so many hospitality businesses are extra stressed and pressured at the moment as you've identified you know there is such a personnel shortage that the people who are in business in the business um, are often you know if they're the owner perhaps they're working ridiculous hours um, there's you know people aren't able to take time off or it's hard for them to do so and I think it's so easy to let those little one percenters go but I think what you've identified is that when you well, doing them makes such a big positive difference and not doing them really drags people down. And in the end, it actually probably, you know, takes more of a toll because you might have someone who leaves or can't come to work. Um, 
or you know leaves leaves the industry altogether. So it's 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 same with training, isn't it? And I've heard from a lot of people at the moment. You know, they don't have time to show anyone how to do anything. They need to simplify the menu, or you know, um, yeah, not do a certain dish because it takes too long. But I think nurturing people in that sense of continually learning and supporting them really can pay off in the long run. Absolutely. And, you know, we're running a program called Systems of Support, which is exactly that. It's looking at, you know, how do you do that one percenter? And it's it's a minute here, it's a minute there. Uh, and yes, I appreciate it's a stressful environment, particularly for business owners at the moment. And they just feel like my head's just absolutely pounding with so much stuff going on. But the cost, not only financial cost, but time-wise of uh, attrition just becomes that uh, revolving door. And and so it becomes, you know, that whole thing of if I, if I can just have it as part of my mantra um, of the way in which I'm engaging, then it's, it's a bit like, you know, how I'd like to be treated is how I treat the staff. And it is about just recognising that, you know, line as you're talking, a bit of a laugh here, a bit of a laugh there, absolutely pays off in, in spades because um, it is the main thing when you ask people, you know, as I said, people is what keeps people in, in their jobs because they have a sense of belonging and they are valued. And really, at the end of the day, yes, people can talk about the dollars, their remuneration, but when you look at the statistics and the research, that actually isn't the driver for most people. It is about that sense of value. And so for us, that's what we really encourage and build into just the way in which um, businesses are able to operate when there are very legitimate um, stressors that are just pounding them day in, day out, and particularly in a very uncertain world as we have with COVID. Mm. Um, so, Rhonda, I just just to flip it slightly, what do you think customers can do to improve or, you know, just make someone's day better when they're visiting a hospitality establishment? Yeah, I think it's a really good one. And I've seen a couple of uh, quite a few places, um, both in Melbourne and Brisbane, uh, have got nice signs up now with a big smiley face and saying, you think you're doing it tough? So are we. And so all of a sudden, you know, everyone starts laughing. Um, so rather than have, you know, uh, those very uh, serious comments of, you know, do not give our staff a hard time, you know, you know do not be abusive, you know, da-da-da, whilst I fully accept that's very important, there's a way in which you can give the same message in a light-hearted way. And so I think some drawings, I've seen people actually ask some uh, preschoolers and some uh, grade ones and grade twos to draw some uh, pictures. And it's saying, these are our staff trying to get on with with their job and trying to enjoy their day. Um, You can make it better or you can add to this. And so people are doing quite inventive things like that. Um, Others I've seen are getting butcher's paper um, onto the walls so actually customers can write on it and customers can write something uh, as a uh, a thank you um, to, uh, you know, the the staff. So I think... So so, nice. Yeah, it's great. Great idea. So I think from the uh, customer's point of view, just remember 
that as you walk in the door, wherever it may be of any hospitality, that, you know, people are doing their best under really difficult circumstances and you can make or break their day. And, and so a smile, how are you, goes a long way. How's your day goes a long way. You know, I just did it down at, um, at this hotel at lunchtime. I said, so how are you all? Well, they just didn't give me a, oh, okay, thanks. They gave it to me and it was lovely. And then they started laughing and then they went off, uh, you know, to to attend to a whole lot of other customers. But, you know, it is about uh, checking in. The customer can check in with the individual. They are a person who has a family or has loved ones and so, therefore, it is treating them as you would treat your own family member. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, Rhonda, I feel like we could talk for hours, um, but we better not. Um, is there something that you'd like to leave us with? Um, could I just talk about the third uh, tier um, of solutions? Because for me, this is the this is the bigger one, and I guess the gnarlier one, but needs I think to to be looked at. And it comes back to my comment about the central problem being school shortages. And and for me, um, Danny, this is at the at you what I call the industry level, and this includes at a federal level, the sector, peak bodies, and policy makers. And we really do need, and this is what Barrington's getting involved in, a multi-intervention approach. And so, you know, for me, it's changing the attitudes, even right down to the teachers in the colleges. You know, how do we have retention of apprentices? Because, you know, the the recent stats said that 65% of chefs or people leave the hospitality industry in six years after training. Well, that's a change. That's a churn and burn we can't afford, you know. And so it's it's having a look at that. It's having a look at the work working conditions. Um, it's having a look at what I call the low entry uh, barrier uh, to work in the industry. And this is where my parallel with uh, aged care comes in, because what happens is with low entry barriers, um, you know. In comparison to, say, like industries of travel agents, car dealerships or accountants, they all require accreditation to enter into a business, but not in hospitality. So with not that accountability um, and, if you like, the informal economy, it really saturates the market and we create a situation where there is much more supply than demand. And so that then has the knock-on effect that employment consequences are that businesses can't offer full-time roles so people can't gain consistent and reliable employment in tour in in hospitality and so it it has that knock-on effect and and so for me they're the things that i think you me um others can actually have quite an influence uh at that industry level as a collective, not as individual voices, but as a collective to start dealing with that because I think that's our nutty problem. That's our, you know, the the, the nut at the core of this. And if we can start to look at that, I think we'll have a better uh, effect on the things that we've spoken about today. And, of course, the one dear to my heart um, is very much about uh, mental health and wellbeing. 
Mm, I, I just love the way that you've joined the dots. It's so... It's just crucial. It's, you know, as just as somebody's um, personal situation, like it's never just going to be one thing. It's it's the sort of, it's the compounding stressors or it's, you know, the, um, yeah, it's the various things that sort of link together in somebody's life. It's definitely like that with the industry. Um, and, yeah, I haven't really heard the dots joined so clearly in terms of the mental health implications of some of these structural problems. I mean, I would sort of add, and we know we've talked about the responsibility of diners, I would sort of put at the other end of that is pricing. And, um, you know, I don't want to open a whole other can of worms, but I think it's definitely when you think about the the, ch- the value chain of hospitality, I think the, the price that people are willing to pay is um, is a really big part of that conversation and when you think about the way that the the can sort of kicked down the road I think one of the implications of that cost shifting is onto the mental health of the people that work in the industry. Yeah I I totally agree with you and and as you said it is uh, it can be opening up a can of worms but I think that is about um, what is the market uh, uh, what is the market going to accept and how can we actually lift that because I, I think um, the customer the customer will um, rise with that and it has to come from the sector to set that bar. Yeah, yep, yeah. Because as you rightly said, you know, the secondary and tertiary consequences of all of that are well, if you go for a low bar, then everything else is a low bar. And so then it's what's the, once again, comes back to values, what's the value we're placing on that worth of the individual and that worth of this industry? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's that there's so many meanings or interpretations of that word value. And yeah, I think you've really, you've really got me thinking about, yeah, I'm going to look at it from all kinds of different angles. Rhonda, um, look, we're well out of time, but it's been so incredible to hear about the great work you're doing at Barrington Centre. It's, um, yeah, it's really, really real change-making stuff. So thanks so much for what you're bringing to the industry and I appreciate you sharing it with the audience today. Thank you very much, Danny. And, and I'd like to say that we feel very privileged um, to uh, partner with the industry and we're hoping that the work that we're doing um, does make a difference uh, for the individual and for businesses um, and, and collectively in the sector. So thank you for the time. It's been great to speak to you today. Likewise. Take care. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.